Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popniglov, and we've also got Steve Coffey on the show with us today. We've got a killer show lined up for you. We are going to dive into one of our very favorite subjects, which is bringing marketing and sales together. And so I'm really excited to introduce a guest that is in the studio with us today. We have Will Hall. He is the managing director of Fahrenheit Advisors. And we've worked together with Will on a number of projects. He is an absolute powerhouse when it comes to sales and marketing knowledge in the building materials and manufacturing industry. So I'm pumped for all of us to be able to get into it. Will, thank you so much for your time and welcome to the show. Well, thank you guys for having me and thank you for those kind words. I'm not sure that I'm worthy of that introduction, but I do appreciate it. Absolutely. So before we get started and dive into the questions, Will, why don't you take a few minutes and introduce yourself and Fahrenheit Advisors to our listeners? Sure. Again, I'm Will Hall. I'm a managing director within a discipline at Fahrenheit Advisors, the sales advisory discipline. Fahrenheit Advisors is a management consulting company with a number of disciplines that range from accounting and finance to executive recruiting, human capital needs, and then, of course, business and sales advisory. My background is in building materials and all things in you might call the built world. That's a phrase we hear these days. So I've had a 20 plus year career in building product manufacturing and taking products to market, whether it be through international business development, big box retail, key account management, building teams to do all those things, and then being head of marketing as well along those lines. So I've walked that walk and lived that intersection between sales and marketing that you were referencing, Beth. One thing you and I talk a lot about is how sales is changing in the building product space. We're seeing more fractionalization. We're seeing consolidation as well in terms of how marketing and sales teams are being run. Can you share what you're seeing just in the marketplace as a whole, seeing the back end of a lot of different manufacturers and what they're doing that's winning in today's market? That's going to depend on the company and the sophistication of that company. A lot of, I would say, mid-sized companies, we'll put them in the 50 to 200 employee range, are waking up to the fact that they all associate marketing as branding has changed dramatically and that it's really not a nice to have and it's a need to have now. You know, you guys have the tagline of make digital marketing your best salesperson. It's really quite true. If you're a pure B2B play or if you're a B2B to C, obviously it's even more apparent there. You just can't get away with not having some kind of digital marketing presence and making that work for you. Even if it isn't a quote unquote huge lead generator for you, people are still checking you out there and they're seeing what you look like. And your reputation is that's the first thing they see when they look you up. Oh, I call it the Google slap. So someone hears about you, they research. Then they go to Google, they check you out, and all of a sudden they're like, I don't know, like, what does this company do? It feels difficult. And even worse if they can't find you. If they can't find you at all, it can take you off the map and get them down the trail of looking at one of your competitors who did show up in their search. Steve, this happened to you recently, something like that, right? Weren't you like doing a project or something? Yes. 
So I recently did a deck renovation. I love DIY projects, so I absolutely wanted to do everything. And I always think every time I do a DIY project, I want to do this full time until my first mistake. And then I said, no, I'm good. So <laughs> I built a deck and naturally I was shopping. So I live in the building space world. It's an exciting place to be, to be able to see new products, to be able to see new things. And then Will, to your point, in even talking more on the marketing and sales teams, I see how they're bringing those products to market. It was a really unique place for me to be able to sit in the DIY seat. I researched in the most unbiased way that I could, okay? Because I have a lot of thoughts about how companies should market to individuals. So the railing that I used was fantastic. Fantastic company, really good. I got the railing selected first because I knew that I was going to go with a certain type of decking board. And then I was looking for clips, for fasteners, for all these different types of things. And as a DIYer, I spent all of my time on YouTube and then I would go to Google search and then shop. So I would find the product that I wanted to use on YouTube and then go to Google search and shop for it and then go to the manufacturer or go to the retailer or Lowe's. So there's one specific product that I was looking for. I ordered it off of Lowe's. It was the decking boards themselves. Naturally, I made a couple mistakes and I had to order some more boards. So I call Lowe's and I say, hey, I want these two boards. You know, When can you get them for me? He said, well, in two weeks. So I said, okay, as a DIYer, I'm sitting here. I don't want to wait two weeks. My wife does not want me to wait two weeks, so what can I do? I call a local lumberyard, Wall Lumber. Get on the phone, and I say, this is the decking board that I'm looking for. He said, great, two days, we'll have it here, just show up, you, you can get it. Got the boards in two days. No call back from the lumberyard, no email, no nothing, no information was transacted. He just ordered the boards, I show up, I paid for it, that was it. That was three months ago, still have not heard from that lumberyard at all. I would happily, instead of going to Lowe's, go back to the lumberyard and buy the product. Now, as it relates to the other products, there was one specific clip that I was trying to use, okay? So I was searching for this specific type of deck clip for the decking board. I Google it and I go to the manufacturer, look at the manufacturer's site, find all the product information, can't find the where to buy button. So I'm searching all around, go back, copy and paste the product name, go back to Google, type it in, can't find where to buy the product, go to Lowe's, type in the product, they don't have it available. I go to Home Depot and I know that they sell them in Home Depot and Lowe's, can't find the product. So nobody has it in stock. I find one box of 500 clips on eBay and I'm thinking, well, I don't need 500 clips and I don't even know if I'm gonna get it ordering it on eBay. So I just walk into Lowe's and buy the first clip that I find. So the manufacturer, they got in front of me, they sold me, I couldn't find the product. So I called Wall Lumber and said, do you have this product in stock? They said, never even heard of it. <laughs> it was very frustrating as a DIYer to go in and say, I want to use this product and I want to buy it and I can't find it. Going through this whole process of building the deck and not being able to find products, I realized there's a gap in between sales and marketing teams. Marketing could get the product in front of me, but I couldn't find it. I'm curious what you think, Will, how marketing and sales teams should be working together how they should create more of a cohesive sales environment so I can not only find the clip, but I can actually be able to buy it and know how to buy it. Boy, that's a lot to unpack there. So, I mean, you brought up channel conflicts, you got supply chain issues, you got you know sales and marketing not being aligned. Wow, that's a lot going on there. Obviously, that's a bit much to simplify, but I'll do my best. 
you know, you really need your sales and marketing teams to be coordinated, to be talking with one another. But really, if they can get on the same page and they're working towards the same metrics and trying to work towards the same KPIs that are joined, that's where you can hopefully avoid a lot of these issues. Zach, I know we've talked a number of times about some potential clients or existing clients, and we've talked about having meaningful metrics for marketing, but they're always linked to moving the business forward. And at the end of the day, they're about sales, they're about growth. Needs to be the same thing, obviously, on your supply side. You said something there I think is really important, which is metrics that actually move the needle. And I think that a lot of marketing departments, one thing we see is that they are measuring things, but not necessarily measuring the right things, or they're not measuring things that tangibly impact revenue. We measure things that make us feel good versus going, okay, what are the things that we know that need to happen on our site, in our social, in our marketing, in our touch points that will tangibly impact revenue and or make our job easier for our sales team? Like one of those two things. And the sad state of most marketing departments is they don't dig enough into the data to figure out what those things are. Have you experienced that at all? And like, what do you do to solve that problem? That's part of my specialty. What we do at Fahrenheit in the sales advisory group is we do two or three different things. One would be fractional sales management. We can talk about that separately. The other would be go-to-market strategy and plans. And another subset of that would be building a sales model, building the proper structure that fits that model. And part of that sales model is doing an assessment of the business, making sure that the company understands its value proposition, understands why people buy its products, and then understand and build a process of sales. And to that point, you're building a funnel, for lack of a better word. You start with the lead, whether it be cold, warm, inbound, outbound, whatever the case might be. And then you build different gates and work on your conversion rates over time. And you incorporate that and do that with marketing. That's my favorite word as of late is a funnel because I experienced it because here I am, an individual with a credit card in their hand looking to buy your product. Trying to spend money, Steve, anywhere you can and you can't do it. Exactly. <laughs> and I was actually talking to a builder the other day and he was looking at a deck lighting manufacturer. He found them on TikTok. He went to the website. He filled out a form asking for information. A sales rep called him. He missed the call. He didn't call them back. They had his email address. He never got any email, no callback after that initial call, just skipped on the product entirely. And I was pressing him for this information. And I thought they've crafted the funnel, but they're not bringing him all the way through it. And they're not nurturing the conversation after he's converted. And I find that a lot of companies will spend the majority of the money to craft the funnel and they're not inviting enough people to go through it or they haven't fully built out the funnel and they're trying to send a lot of people through a funnel that's partially crafted and thus they're not converting. You're going to have a higher cost per acquisition for that and lower your long-term ROI on marketing dollars spent. The companies that I see being successful are the ones that are crafting the funnel and nurturing me entirely through that journey and not frustrating me when I come to the end of the product and I want to buy it and I can't. And revisiting what they built. I mean, part of what you're talking about, Steve, is conversion rate optimization. So you could easily look at that funnel that the lighting manufacturer built and say, okay, we got this many leads. 
we did this many calls of those calls, we had this many sales. And if that hits your numbers, you can easily be like, great, we thought we would get a 20% close rate off of our digital leads. We're getting a 20% close rate off our digital leads. Check, let's move on to the next thing. Instead of saying, well, how many of those cold calls did we follow up on if the person didn't answer the very first time? Or what were the next touch points if we didn't get them on the phone? How much more could you increase your end rate conversions if you went back, reviewed, and optimized. And I think that's a really important piece is there's so much get it out the door and get on to the next thing. We miss the chance to find out how to create truly meaningful work in marketing. And we either just consider it a failure because it didn't work within the first 30 to 90 days, or we're like, eh, it's close enough. Let's move on and do something different instead of spending the time and effort to fine tune and put additional efforts into something in order to get significantly increased ROI. It's interesting, Steve, what you referenced and what you talked about in Bethview as well is just about every company out there has a general understanding and some clarity that certain things matter in the sales process, right? And the closer you are to the final sale at the end of the funnel, the more obvious it is and the more likely it is. And that's what gets the attention. On the other side of that, a lot of people have woken up to the notion that you need to fill the funnel, hopefully with the right kind of qualified lead. And so that gets a lot of attention as well. So we might say the two ends of the funnel get a lot of attention is the inbound lead flow and are these qualified leads or these MQLs or the SQLs and that sort of thing. And then the actual transaction, the conversion in the transaction, it's that mid part is where things can go awry. And if you don't have ways to measure that and monitor that, well, that's where the holes come in the funnel. <laughs> Instead of being a solid funnel and coming all the way through, you get a lot of holes. The other thing that I think is important is the attribution that a lot of marketing teams have with their dealer network. So I had researched a railing company, beautiful railing, You know, went down that funnel from a marketing standpoint, landed on the site, used their dealer finder. I called the dealer, which was right down the road from me, and I said, hey, I'm looking for such and such a product. And the dealer said, never heard of it. What is that? And so it was on the dealer finder on the manufacturer site. So then I go back to Google and I search for it. Where is this available? Lowe's didn't have it available. So I couldn't buy it. So I skipped on it. And I think that's very true. Will, and what you're saying is that I find that there's a lot of opportunity on the dealer side to drive the conversation and companies can align that sales side because I would have interacted mostly with the dealer, not with the manufacturer at all. My interaction with the manufacturer was entirely digital. And so they did a good job sending me to the dealer and then the conversation fell totally short. I have traditionally lived in the manufacturing side of this equation and it would be easy for me to pile on the dealer, but I don't think that's the right answer. I think in this day and age, it's incumbent upon manufacturers, well, let's call it suppliers, to own that responsibility all the way through the channel and the chain. It's difficult, I get that. But you've got to be working with your dealers or whatever you want to call that next step. You've got to be working down the chain. You've got to be making sure that that chain doesn't break on you. And leaving it up to the dealer, distributor, to carry the water for you, you're out of touch. You're relying on them doing their job and doing it the way you want it to be done. The closer you can get to your customer and the more contact you can have with them and make sure that that channel doesn't break, the better off you're going to be. Well, let's talk about fractionalization for a second. This is something you're seeing as well as what we're seeing in the space. I know you kind of play here a little bit. Talk to me about what you're seeing in terms of how building product companies and or suppliers are starting to use a more fractionalized approach to their sales. 
So what I'm seeing specifically is around sales management and or training up prospective new managers. I'll give you some basic examples of what I've been doing and what we do at Fahrenheit. There's two or three different scenarios. A typical scenario would be a company that is stuck and or not growing or is kind of plateaued and they may or may not have all the right people in place. They may not have the right structure in place. They may not have the right go-to-market strategy in place. And so we'll go in there and and work with them on that. And we'll do an assessment, present them with findings, and then help implement that. And I want to be real clear on this. You can find consultants all over the place that will give you ideas and leave you a report and give you a presentation and walk out the door. What Fahrenheit does and what I do specifically is we take the next step and say, okay, how are we going to put this into action? The other, and these are quite common these days, it's a change in ownership, whether it's a new generation that's taken over a business and the older generation did things a certain way and they want to change things and they may not have all the skill set or the expertise in-house to do that. They know that they probably need to bring somebody in to help them do that long-term, but they're not there. We can sit in that seat and help them with that, get the structure and the model in place and then even help them recruit a long-term VP sales or marketing or something like that. The other is, and this is also, we see this quite commonly, companies that have either tried to sell themselves or know that they want to sell at some point. And quite often it will be, I've tried to sell and then the PE group or whomever is looking to buy me says, hey, you've got a great business here. It's wonderful, but it's not scalable. It's not independent of you. And or it's not independent of your one killer salesperson. And, you know, if I buy you, how am I going to scale this when you guys are gone? And so we can come in and help you with that. Will, you said a keyword that I was hoping was going to come up. I have a hot take and then I have a question. (laughs) My hot take is the term VP of sales and marketing is pretty widely used, especially in our industry. I typically see that as VP of sales. Also, we have marketing. Right. (laughs) That's not a dig. Like you have to have somebody over sales. That's not true. It is a dig. But sales is very important. It's not because sales isn't important and shouldn't have somebody overseeing it. There's not a lot of marketers who end up as VPs of sales and marketing. There are a lot of salespeople who end up as VPs of marketing. So my question is someone who sat in that seat and anybody listening would know, and I'm happy to endorse, you get sales and you get marketing. How would you coach a VP of sales and marketing to move into a true seat of VP of sales and marketing and not just sales and delegate marketing or de- without deprioritizing it? To be fair, it's actually pretty difficult to do both and do both well. So let's put that out there. And again, as I've said before, it all depends on the size and sophistication of the company. It goes back to what we were talking about before. In this day and age of digital marketing, of people at the very least vetting you, you have to lean into digital marketing. You have to make sure that your presence online is one that's true to you and your company at the very least. And I would say that's just table stakes. If that's all you're doing, it's okay, but you're really missing the boat because you have so much more opportunity to have that marketing work for you. In today's buyer, I mean, this sounds so arcane. I'm sorry to say this, but I think it still needs to be said. Today's buyer, 75% of the time or more, and don't quote me on the number, they are not interacting with you and they're making buying decisions. 
and they're making buying decisions independent of you. And they're doing that through some sort of digital marketing. So if you're not leaning into it and you're not presenting yourself well, you're putting your sales team and your company at risk. Well, this has been great. If someone wants to connect with you, reach out, what's the best way for them to do that? Just connect on LinkedIn, I think would be the best. I can give you my Fahrenheit address, but it's long. It's W Hall at Fahrenheit with two H's, F-A-H-R-E-N-H-E-I-T advisors.com. But just hit me up on LinkedIn. Awesome, man. Thank you again for coming to the show and for our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, check us out at venview.com slash podcast to subscribe and get more. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popiglov and Steve Coffey. Thanks everybody.